0: All right, Shiva, let's start by having you introduce yourself to our audience as well as introduce Antuvit.
1: Hey, my name is uh, Kumar Lakshman, and uh, I go by Siva. I, I run, um, I'm a co-CEO at Antwit. Um Antuvit is an AI software as a service company that targets retail and consumer products as two businesses. Um, And our goal is to make the supply chain and merchandising process in retail and consumer products more intelligent. What do we mean by that? Um, The decisions around what is the future-looking demand? Where do you keep the product? What price do you sell? How do you shape the demand? We leverage artificial intelligence to drive these decisions.
0: Okay, let's double click down one level and give us a picture of what are the data inputs that are going into modeling your AI algorithms.
1: It depends on the use case uh, that we are talking about, but predominantly, you know, if you're looking at... So let me
0: me stop you there, one second. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would like you to pick three use cases And double-click and deep-dive into each of them. Explain to to me the use cases. Explain to me the data uh, infrastructure that you need and the signals that you need to work on that use case and how do you access that data and so on.
1: Sure. So let us us look at uh, three use cases here. Let's take the first one, which is majority of what we do, which is AI forecasting. Um, AI forecasting is the process of um, identifying what your future-looking customer demand is. Um, it could be for what is going to be my demand over next 12 months, or it could be what is my demand for next three months in a weekly bucket, or it could be a, what is my daily demand over next two weeks. Typically, AI forecasting, when in the case of retail and consumer products, you, you need to have visibility of what your demand is um, across the time horizon because you are making a variety of decisions in each of this. For instance, if you are making decisions around manufacturing on what products to make, and if you happen to be a retailer who has sourcing in Asia, you are typically making the decision six months even twelve months in advance. Or if you are a consumer products company who has local manufacturing, you can you are making that twelve weeks So the the medium to long-term demand is important in making the inventory decisions. And there is also a short-term version of the demand, which is important on how you deploy the inventory to the stores and to your customers. Right? So we work across this time horizon, our AI forecasting predicts demand across this. In terms of what data one would need for this prediction, uh, these are machine learning models that are continuously learning based on what data um, it is receiving. Typically, you will start with what is your sales, historical sales? How much have I been selling in the past? Uh, and what are all the trends, seasonality of those sales that is happening at a granular level? You know, you can go as low as the store and the individual product level, or you can say at a region and product level, depending on uh, the, the, the nature of the salt we are looking for. So historical sales and the pattern of the demand become super important. But oftentimes, this history is, may or may not be a true representation of the future. And it is becoming increasingly common during COVID that history is not a representation of the future. So then naturally, other information becomes absolutely critical. What are all the other information? that if, if, Let us take if you are a drug retailer then you are tracking what is the flu trend this year. mean, do I need to stock a lot of, uh, you know, cold and flu medication? What is the allergy trend this year, right? If you are a consumer products company, and if you are selling, say, food and beverage, you need to be aware of when is the food coupons coming out? When is the back to school? Because once the school starts, you know, kids start taking biscuits to the school. So all of those external information becomes super helpful. Then, even internally, companies do a lot of uh, work to shape their demand. What we mean by shape the demand is you are running a manage, you know, marketing campaign and then you are spending a whole lot of advertisements, you know, be it on Facebook, Google, or even on TV, and they will have an influence on your demand uptake, right? You will be running promotions for example, you walk into a Kroger or a Target or a Walmart today, you will see a, a retail shelf. At the end of the shelf, you will see a display, right? Oh, there are Frito-Lay chips that are sitting on the display or a Mondelez biscuits that are sitting on the display. You walk by and then you pick one. You may or may not need the product, you pick it. What you actually did here is you're driving the trade promotion at the retailer that is shaping the demand, that is driving higher demand, and you you know that you are going to run these promotions into the future, and that becomes an important input into the model. So your advertisements, marketing, promotion spends act as a very important input. Your historical demand trends act as an important input. Your external data act as a very important input. For instance, let us take a retailer. Let's take Starbucks for example. If if you know there is going to be a parade that's walking through the street. How you predict and stock the product in your retail shelf is very different when you don't know there's going to be a parade. If you have a strip, if you have a retail store at a strip mall, and if you are selling Snickers and uh, water bottles, and if there's a parade walking, that's going to fly off the shelf. People are going to pick it on the way. So these kind of external information also plays an important role in predicting the demand. Let me pause here before I go to the subsequent use case.
0: Um, on this use case, is this a use case that you started with, started your company
1: with? So, the company, yes, there are two primary use cases the company, you know, um, originated around. One is this forecasting use case, other is the pricing use case. The pricing, which is determining what is going to be uh, the price at the retail shelf and how do I mark down the product towards mm-hmm. end of the season. So, these were the primary use cases. However, forecasting was a front and center use case.
0: So why don't we go to do the pricing use case, and then I'm going to ask you some questions based on these two early uh, use cases that you zeroed in on. So let's do the pricing use case next.
1: Sure. So the pricing use case, um, you know, let us take fashion retailer. That's where we predominantly operate in the pricing space. You know, it could be an apparel, footwear, like Nike, and adidas, or it could be uh, you, are, you know, PAX and Eddie Buzz and Michael Kors or J Crew, right? These are these are companies who operate on seasons. Uh, when I say season, they have four season or five season in a in a year, and these products stay for a season and then they are off the shelf. So naturally, when the life of the product is a 12 week or 8 week, and if you go to a fast fashion, it can be even shorter. But let's stick to a 12 week life. Or 14 week life or 16 week life of a product, at the end of it, the inventory is not useful. I have a spring collection, which is not very useful when the summer hits, right? Um, and vice versa. So you need to mark down and clear off those products. That is the use case that we started with. And what is the right time and right level to mark down the product? How can you leverage data and the intelligence? Make the right decision because you don't want to go too deep too early. At the same time, you don't want to run a risk of having leftover inventory at the end of the season, which is, which is going to be absolutely useless, right? Uh, if there is any value to it, so you need to your timing and the depth become super important. That use case, fast forward, you know, last two years, has, has manifested itself into an omni-channel fulfillment use case. What we mean by that is, when you say, when you, when you, today, when you look at it, you know, e commerce was a good percentage, a fast growing percentage of anyone's, any, any, any company's channel. Uh, COVID just accelerated it. You're talking about yeah. 20, 23 percentage, right? We all, sure. I mean, uh, last time, I don't remember when I went to a store and bought a shirt. Right. Uh, we buy online. So that trend means now I need to make a much more holistic decision around how I deploy my inventory in my network in my store, and how I fulfill the customers, be it an online or an offline customer walking into the store, fully knowing that I still need to mark down the product. Now think about it, I am looking for a white shirt. Right? Let's white shirt is more common, let us take a purple color shirt, which is uncommon. And Mm -hmm. I want to buy it online. And I, I live in Frisco in Texas, and there is a store nearby which has a one unit of the medium size I need. And there is a store uh, near Dallas, which is 30 miles from where I am, which has 12 units of the same shirt. Now I need to make a decision on how do I fulfill the vast demand? Do I send it from Frisco store, which is $1 less in the transportation cost, or do I go from Dallas store which is, you know, um, $1 expensive from a transportation cost. Now, if you look at it more holistically, then you will be looking at your inventory and markdown liability, and and you're saying, if I'm not moving this Dallas store product, I run a risk of having to markdown this product and sell it for much cheaper. Why don't I incur the $1 extra? Now, play this out across thousands of stores, across thousands of products, with everyone buying online every minute. Think about the number of decisions one has to make while optimizing this for a Interesting. So,
0: So, uh, Shiva, a clarification question here. It sounds like the retailers you're working with are fulfilling their online orders from retail stores and not from a... Dedicated e-commerce warehouse. Is that an accurate observation?
1: It, it depends on the retailer, but you, are, you will increasingly see buy online, pick up on store, and deliver from store um, because it's, it's given. You have to deliver everything next day, given given the preference. You know, as a customer, we all need a very large assortment or an infinite assortment available in next two hours, isn't it? So we want the same experience as walking into the store while buying online. No one wants to wait for four days or six days. So it's increasingly hard and to be competitive if you are if you have a two disease across the coast, the the fulfillment from store is will will become increasingly common and is common now.
0: I see. And um what data signals are driving these use cases the pricing use case or the logistics use case all this
1: so you need you need understanding of uh, demand right demand underpins most of what the decisions that you are making because historical sales data is what's driving most of it not necessarily you know historical sales data is an important input you need to understand your logistics cost you need to understand your markdown liability right you yep. need to understand individual trends of individual stores and the assortment on what is you know what is the hit now what is not a hit now for example if you have a cosmetic company when everyone you know took off their mask one would expect the lipstick sales will fly off the shelf.
0: Mm-hmm. right
1: there is a pent up demand there so there is there is a lot more that goes into it than just historical data there is a lot of external trends that That happens, and there is also loyalty information these companies have around what individual customers prefer without, mm-hmm. without having to know specific named customers, but you know the demographic and other aspects right uh, the so sizes
0: and do... colors and
1: yeah exactly health preferences if you are a food retailer, the product that you stock in uh, in a rural Texas might be different from San Francisco, isn't it? So those kind of uh, factors will also go in, not just the historical data.
0: Okay. And the promotion as well, what promotions are being run where. So when you started the company, how did you train your models? We've gone over the two use cases, the two primary use cases that you're working with, and we've talked about the data signals that are required to drive these use cases When you started how did you get the data with which to train the models and and what what was the you know seeding of the algorithm
1: yeah so that's that's a that's a good question so the way we work is we are what we call a single tenant okay we don't train our models on one customer and then use it for other customers because of the sensitivities involved in retail sales data and consumer product sales data, right, or sales-related information. So we train the model on our customer information. So the seeding happens for individual customers, not as an industry in totality. You know, unlike in a, a computer vision use case where you train it on large images and then you seed it, and then you use it for different applications. This is a little different where you seed it on individual customers' businesses.
0: So in the case where you first started, let's say your first ever customer, why did they let you do that? What did you bring into the process, or how did you convince your first customer to let you do that?
1: So different companies take different journeys into being a, AI SaaS product company, right? Um, The journey that we took is we started as a services company.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We started as a services company which helped customers solve individual custom use cases. As we gathered enough momentum and knowledge and credibility, then we got the brand permission to knock the door for folks to buy our product. You are talking about decisions that will, that are highly, highly influential. For instance, today we decide ninety percentage of the stock that goes into the US supermarket for breads. You know, if if, if you're not if you if you sleep for a day, you ninety percentage of people won't get bread in the supermarket. And if you want a brand permission to solve for this, you need you cannot just say, Hey, I have the best product here you go. You need to build it over a period of time. And we took the services route to build that credibility. That may not be the only route, but we found that route quite effective. And We, naturally, have,
0: uh, we are very big fans of bootstrapping using services. We have a whole methodology around bootstrapping using services. We use in our accelerator, we use bootstrapping using services as a continuous methodology for building enterprise software companies. So we are big believers. Um, absolutely. Unless,
1: unless you are a CEO of SAP starting a company, you can start products right away. But otherwise, you need to go through the grind. Yeah. So now, um,
0: what, was, what did you have on your team uh, to convince these you know, large enterprises to bring you in as a service provider?
1: Okay, can you repeat that question?
0: Well, um, you know, you bootstrapped using services, so you had to convince enterprise customers that you have enough expertise to give you a sizable services project to do this, right?
1: Yep. So you don't need to necessarily start with a sizable services project, right? You can always start with a small services project. The key there is oftentimes what happens, you know, in my experience, in my previous entrepreneurial journey as well, When you are solving these problems, you tend to solve global hunger. One day you solve a pricing problem, next day you solve a forecasting problem, other day you solve some dashboarding problem, and then you you keep moving and you are not building particular credibility on one area. So the key there is to stick the course and then look for it. It is not easy because when you are early, you cannot chase those specific opportunities. But you need to pick your battle and your expertise. You know, when we started, the team that we had came from, and you know, I came from, uh, in my previous life, IBM. I, I did a lot of work in the supply chain area. I had certain credibility. Uh, you know, so others in the team worked for similar companies who had, certain, you know, um, certain credibility in certain functional areas that you can intelligently talk about and have a point of view on how to solve. You need to stick to those areas, and then you need to do that one, two, three, four, five times, and it'll be, you know, you'll be surprised. After a point, you you will become a natural choice for solving those kind of problems. And the yeah. narrower the problem you are solving, better it is. It's my experience.
0: Yep, yep. And and uh, you hit the nail on the ground. On the head, actually, is uh, to say that you. Pick one problem and solve that problem over and over again for multiple customers instead of floating around on different use cases, different problems, and, and you know spreading yourself thin. Because the more product, the path to productization is by solving single problems, not by solving 20 problems.
1: Correct, and you will you will scale slower. But at times you need to walk slow to run fast, right? Right. So that is one of. No, so with time the first it will feel a lot
0: faster, I think. But yeah. but in the beginning Move it over was a
1: longer period of time. But the first few years would be a struggle because you're you're you will get. It's hard to say no. So you, you, you not only really
0: that, it's time. hard to acquire customers. New customers are harder mm-hmm. to acquire. Once you have a customer, the customer is going to give you all kinds of problems to solve. You've already got the customer relationship. It's easier to. Go within the customer and and make a lot of money off that customer by solving many different problems. That's why services companies don't productize usually; they remain I mean, services companies. Yeah,
1: exactly right. And that that's another business model. You can happily be a services company and do that. It's just, right. It is definitely a successful business model too. Right.
0: So if your goal is to remain uh, an AI services company, you can go take one customer and and. Uh, you know stay within that customer and upsell and cross sell within that customer and solve a lot of different problems that's right nice. if you want to productize you on an ai product you need to solve one problem on many different customers and build reputation around that product so those are two different nice. strategies both are viable business strategies but um, it's but it's a very interesting discussion for people who are listening to this or you know or uh, reading Uh, this interview um, on, you know, options, forks on the path, essentially. That's right. Okay. Um, Would you like to discuss any other use case, or shall we move on to the next segment of the interview?
1: There are are other use cases I can talk about, but I think we have given plenty to the readers already, so we should should go to the next section.
0: All right. So now um, put on your industry thought leader hat, Um, And from your vantage point, from all the different customers that you talk to, different problems that you notice, and often, given the strategy that you have followed, you have had to say no to problems that perhaps customers were asking you to solve. What are some of those problems that customers are asking for solutions to that you have chosen not to solve, but you know that those problems exist and customers are looking for for solutions to those problems? you are thinking
1: or I uh-huh. accidentally went on mute apologies <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know what happened um, so there are a variety of problems to be solved right there is no uh, there's no uh, scarcity on the problems that needs to be solved and, and, and the fun part about it is the problems are also changing um, rapidly Something that was a problem uh, six months on here heck is not a problem anymore, right? Because I have two other different manifestations of that problem. So, uh, the, the, and there the variety of areas, whether without going into whether we want to solve it or not, uh, one of the areas that is very big on our customers is um, uh, doing more with less, right? I think that's a very broad theme. Uh, sustainability being the front and center of it. How do I execute how do i execute my plan and then grow at the pace that i want and the market expect me to grow and then do that with the resources that i have and and that's a question that you can you can have a sustainability angle to it you can have a profitability angle to it and surprisingly they go together in this case so Optimizing how I operate, how how can I be more intelligent? How can I reduce the waste, right? How can I reduce the markdown that I have? How can I have the right inventory at the right place at the right time? This is the broad set of problems that's facing everyone. Grow without compromising uh, the efficiency agenda that I have. Uh, We solve some parts of it, but it's a very broad problem. There's a variety of areas within this broader problem um, that need solution.
0: Can you double click that on that a little bit and and give some examples?
1: I mean, the, say for example, a diagonal area to where we are work uh, not not you know not something that we focus on. It's a circular uh, economy with zero waste, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We you know this is a problem that needs solution today, and AI and data and modeling and some intelligent business models can play a huge role. Is there a way to execute the CPG and retail? value chain without waste? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it intelligent packaging? Is it a closed-loop system? Right? Or yeah. is it the way we buy? There is data involved. There is an in, in business model innovation that is involved in this. And everyone is looking at it now in a, in a fashion where, you know, you will see companies like TerraCycle and others doing this, the loop being one other initiative. But now it is um, very scattered. I expect that to be a major trend in the next like, few years to come. Fair, um, enough, it will fair move... enough.
0: That's very good. Very good. Okay. Um, just a last set of questions that I want to ask you about um, your financing strategy for the company. You did bootstrapping using services. How long are you completely bootstrapped or have you raised money subsequently?
1: No, we are, we are actually backed by Goldman. Um, so we... We bootstrapped using services on our our way to product, but we were funded. Our geographical expansion was funded by Goldman Sachs.
0: So how many years did you bootstrap using services before bringing funding in?
1: So we did that for two years, uh, uh, bootstrapped, and then we brought Goldman in and uh, other investors. We were always funded from the beginning. We had some seed funding to go. Uh, what our strategy then was to have a long, larger geographical presence um, across different continents, and we, we used that funding to to geographically expand at that point.
0: I see. And uh, what was your seed funding?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if I can give the details. Apologies. I'll...
0: I see. Okay. All right. Never mind. So um, I think I have your story, Um is there anything else that you want to add?
1: Um, I think that's pretty much. So what, what format is this going to be? Is this a written interview yeah. format? Yeah, it's going it to be a transcript. Or?
0: Yes, it's going to be transcript. a transcript.
1: Okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. And uh, right. yeah, if you need anything as you work on it, please feel free to let me know. Yeah?
0: Um, do I have your – just a second. Let me cut the recording one moment.